so glad you could join us for the mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution rose out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered. They were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so that there was great joy in the city. Hear the word of the Lord. Awesome. Well, Annette, I feel a lot of pressure. <laughs> Thanks for this. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to do my best. Uh, thank you all very much for allowing me to come and for indulging Annette a little bit. Uh, it's great to be here. My name is Tim, as has already been mentioned a few times. Jill, you've done half my job. Thank you so much for introducing the passage and giving a lot of context around it. That's great. Um, I will try not to take too long with everybody's time then. Um, I'm a little bit jealous of the kids going to Mission Control. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> Way more fun than being persecuted. Um, hopefully... We'll still have fun despite the persecution I talk about. And uh, look, it, it's a real honor to be able to speak and, and share from the Word of God and share about persecuted believers who I've met and have heard from. Um, but before I do that, please pray with me again. Uh, Lord God, we thank you that we can come to church every week and that we don't have to worry about police standing at the door to take our names. Lord, that we don't have to worry about uh, people coming in to disrupt the service or, or do anything to harm us or our children. Lord, we thank you so much that we live in this amazing, peaceful country in this incredible time of freedom. Uh, and Lord, while it may just be a season that we have that, we pray that in this season you would prepare us well so that we can be all in now and all in in the future as we share your word with those around us so they can know true life. Amen. Uh, so, as I, has been mentioned several times, I'm from Open Doors, and our goal is simply to help people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. And we do that by going to the places where the cost is the highest first. So, I'll give you an example of that. Uh, a couple of years ago, I visited Vietnam. I met two incredible believers who just challenged my faith amazingly. The two men that I'm talking about are in the middle of this photo. In the White shirt, plain white shirt, you have Din Van Tin, and the black jacket, Zen. Now these two believers were the very first Christians in both their villages. Both from separate villages, but relatively close. And to get to us, where we were in the city, uh, it took them a full day, and about a thousand kilometers. 
Um, where they're from, there is no running water, no electricity. Uh, they've never had any education in their lives. And growing up, they were brought up in the same circumstances which they live and bring their kids up in now, which is their subsistence farmers. So they only just grow enough food for themselves and their family, a tiny little bit extra to sell at market, but not enough to escape what is essentially a poverty cycle. They grow up in poverty, they die in poverty, their kids grow up in poverty, their kids die in poverty. And that's kind of their lives. And in their villages, as they grow up in this, they're animists. So they worship different spirits, like the spirit of the trees and the spirit of the field, the spirit of the stream. And they have to sacrifice every day to these spirits. And they believe that if they don't sacrifice to these spirits, then the spirits are going to get angry. And if the spirits get angry, then they're going to make their crops fail. Or maybe their kids will get sick. Or perhaps their livestock will die. And so that's why they continue to sacrifice to these spirits. And so that was the life that Din Ventian and Zen, the two men in the middle, had. Until Din Van Tin in the white shirt, he traveled into town one day and he met the other man in this photo, the Vietnamese looking bloke, uh, who's a pastor. And they met him at town as they went in to sell a little bit of food and this pastor shared the gospel with him. Din Van Tin heard for the first time that there wasn't actually spirits that were trying to curse them and hate them. But in fact, there is a God that loved them so much that he sent Jesus to die for them. And Dimantin, hearing this, he got excited about it. He decided to give his life to Christ. He went back to his village, and then he shared the gospel with everyone there. And six families, including his own, all gave their lives to Christ, which is amazing. I can't name a time in my life where I've seen six families become Christian because I shared the gospel. But that's what happened. But as is often the case, when the gospel goes out this quickly, the enemy has to do something. So that's often where we see persecution. And so what happened in their village was uh, the persecution sort of started small and gradually escalated. So at first, out of fear, that Din Ventin was no longer sacrificing to these spirits. They were terrified for themselves and their own families. So out of fear, they went to him and they begged him, Din Ventin, you've got to, you've got to stop following this new Jesus person. And you've got to come back to sacrificing to these spirits. And he said, no, I can't do that. I'm going to keep following Jesus. And so after begging him didn't work, they escalated. The first thing that they did after that was they put sand into the petrol tank of his scooter. His only worldly possession and his only way to get to market to make any money for his family was gone. But he continued to follow Jesus. And so they escalated again. The next thing they did is they hamstrung his cows, which is a huge loss. But for these guys as subsistence farmers, devastating and he said i'm still gonna follow jesus and so the escalation continued and more things happened but it it kind of peaked when one night the villagers gathered around his house 
and they got large stones the size of cinder blocks and they threw them through the ceiling as they were sleeping. And they landed just millimeters from his head, his wife's head, and his kids' heads as they slept on the ground. And Zen, in the black jacket, he had a very similar story. Things escalated to the point for him where one day the villagers came and they beat him with bamboo rods. And they beat him so badly that they only stopped when he passed out because they thought that they'd killed him. While he was with us, he showed us his teeth were still wobbly from the attack. Actually being with these men in person and hearing their stories was just shocking. And I had a a burning question after hearing this. I had to ask them, how or, or why do you still follow Jesus when this is happening to you? Dim Van Tien, he answered first. He said, well, all our lives we've been in fear of these spirits. But to hear that Jesus loves us so much that he was our sacrifice. Well, that God is gentle. I want to follow him. And then Zen answered. And he said, because I know Jesus and he's coming back soon. And these two men who can't even read who've never been able to read the Bible for themselves, have this amazing understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for them. And this is just two people from the persecuted church. We're working with about 250 million Christians now in over 70 countries. This is just two stories from that. I've got a short video to show you of um, some of the other work we've got happening around the world. Open Doors is positioned on the front lines, standing and strengthening persecuted Christians in countries like North Korea, where it's illegal to own a Bible, or your family can be thrown in a prison camp for their beliefs. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. It's time to awaken to the reality of the persecuted church. In 1955, Brother Andrew, a newly committed Christian, began smuggling Bibles into Eastern Europe, behind the Iron Curtain, because he believed that everyone should have the freedom to know Jesus. He was given the scripture, Revelation 3.2, Wake up, strengthen what remains that is about to die. Since his first trip, Open Doors has expanded to work around the world providing Bibles and training for those who need it most. We train leaders in their homeland so they can be the light of the gospel in the darkest places. In 1981, we delivered one million Bibles to a secluded harbour in China and was described by Time magazine as one of the boldest missionary ventures of all time. 
1989, we sent one million New Testament Bibles into Russia, and a seven-year prayer campaign for the Soviet Union finished. We are part of the body of Christ, called to the persecuted church, people of prayer, seeking to live by faith, devoted to Jesus Christ and His call, motivated solely for the glory of God. Open doors. Together, we serve persecuted church. So we'll go back to our verse. If you've got your Bible with you, open it up. Uh, if you don't, you're not a very good Christian not bringing it to church. But we're in Acts chapter 8. I'm glad you laughed at that. That could have gone real bad. Um, so we're in Acts chapter 8. Uh, and I've got it on the screen just in case you don't have it. There's surely no judgment on my part. I feel like I've got to keep backing away now. Um, and when we read this passage as was read before, it actually seems like a really uh, sad and a negative point in Scripture. But what we have here is something really exciting. And I'll I'll demonstrate how that is. But uh, just to refresh it, I'm going to read it out again. Uh, So, and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, this kind of persecution that's being talked about here, going from house to house, dragging off men and women and putting them in prison, this is kind of the very worst of persecution. The very worst persecution that we still see around today. But the truth is we only see this kind of persecution in maybe five or six countries. So one of the countries that we see this kind of persecution in is North Korea. And North Korea, we would say, is the hardest country in the world to be a Christian. We rank them every year, number one to number 50, the hardest countries to be a Christian. If you want to see that list, you can go on our website and you can have a click on the different countries. But in North Korea, the government is so intent on finding Christians and, and rooting them out of society, that they'll even use their uh, people's own families against them. So a couple of years ago, we saw that happen. And what the government did was, in all primary schools all throughout the country, on the same day, they set up a program, and they got teachers to say to their kids, go home tonight, search your houses top to bottom for this book, and if you find it, bring it to school tomorrow, and you'll get a big prize. So kids all over the country went home, searched their houses, looked everywhere, and the kids that found Bibles brought them to school the next day, gave them to the teacher, they got a small prize, and then they never saw their families again. Now, North Korea is, without a doubt, the hardest place to be a Christian. And that is the circumstance that it is to be a Christian in North Korea. But despite that, we know that there's about 200,000 Christians in the country. 
about 70,000 of them are in concentration camps. But in these concentration camps, despite their circumstances, the Christians still meet together to have church. Because how can they pass up the opportunity for fellowship? But the way that they do church is, is it's slightly different. It resembles what we do. Uh, they sit together and they sing Christian songs. But they don't sing it out loud because that would attract too much attention. They, they just mouth the words to each other. And they pray for one another. Even in their circumstances, all going through the same thing. And they recite passages of scripture that they've memorized before going into the prison. And they have to do it in the toilet blocks of these concentration camps. Because it's the only place too disgusting that the guards won't go. So that is what it's like to be a Christian in North Korea at the moment. But as I said, that's, that's sort of the absolute worst. And that's what we see happening here in this passage. But it's good to think of persecution along a scale. So at, at one end of the scale, up here, you have the very worst kind of persecution. You have what we just described, or what I just described in North Korea. In Afghanistan, Somalia, a few other countries. Right, house to house, people losing their lives for Christ. Uh, and that, that happens fairly regularly in the persecuted church. But that's the very worst kind of persecution. But then as you move along the scale, you get different kinds of persecution. So if we move to the middle of the scale here, the persecution, uh, it's not as extreme as that. But it can be more insidious. So the persecution can be uh, like in Central Asia, uh, which is sort of like Kazakhstan and those countries around there, um, where Christians, if people convert from Islam to Christianity or if they're born Christian, they can't have a job. Their boss will just fire them. Now, if you can't have a job, how do you support your family? Or they won't be allowed to go to university. Or they won't be allowed for their kids to attend school. All this kind of uh, civil persecution. It's not violent, but it's so hard. It makes life unbearable. And that's in the middle of the scale. And then if you move further towards the end, so right down here, you have a different kind of persecution again. In this spot, you have a kind of persecution where society says Christian ideas are out of date. They're no longer relevant. And it's okay to marginalize Christians. So, for example, you've got an idea that marriage is only between a man and a woman. We disagree with you, and it's okay to pick on you because your idea is different. Or you want to educate your kids in a certain way uh, or you want to share your faith. You know, that's, that's, that's all okay, but you guys are weirdos. And we don't want you to live your faith out toward us, so just keep it to yourself. And that's what the persecution is up here. Now, everything along this scale is persecution. So I would encourage you to think of persecution not just as that extreme which I've described, but everything along this scale. Because it says in 1 Timothy 
all who would seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So some kind of persecution is relevant for everyone and it sits along that scale. And Open Doors works with everything along that scale. So I mentioned, though, that this passage is actually really encouraging. But from hearing all of this so far, I doubt you're encouraged. Or if you are, I'm surprised, and that's good. (laughs) But I wouldn't be personally. So how is it encouraging? Well, if we cast our minds backwards in Scripture, we start to get a good picture of that. And you've all been fairly interactive so far, laughing at some of the dicey jokes that I've made and whatnot. So that's great. Uh, But I'm going to get you to participate. I'm going to ask you some questions, and you have to respond. But to make sure you do, I'm going to have the answers on the screen. (laughs) All you've got to do is read it out. So if we think backwards in Scripture, and we think about Matthew chapter 28, what significant thing happens in Matthew chapter 28? You can all read, but fairly quietly. (laughs) I love a bit of excitement in church. This is a great commission. All right, so Jesus tells his disciples, go to the ends of the earth, share the gospel, tell them what I have done to save and reconcile man to God. It's great news, but there's a but attached to the Great Commission. Jesus says, wait until I send the Advocate or the Holy Spirit so that you can do that with power and understanding and people will follow you. Uh, so, go to the ends of the earth, but wait. And then we read forward in Scripture and we get to Acts chapter 2. And what happens in Acts chapter 2? Oh, you're excited about that one. Pentecost! The Holy Spirit is poured out and people can hear the gospel in their language for the very first time and come to understand it. So the disciples are told, go to the ends of the earth, wait for the Holy Spirit. Then Pentecost happens, they get the Holy Spirit. Then what happens between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8, which we were reading before? Nothing, nothing. That's great. You're paying attention. Appreciate it. Nothing happens. They continue to remain in Jerusalem. But then as they remain in Jerusalem, There is a rising tension that happens. If you read between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8, you'll see at first the disciples are jeered. People uh, start to pick on them for sharing their faith. And then it escalates. Some of them are arrested. Now they've done nothing wrong, so they have to be let go. But they're still arrested. And then things continue to escalate until you get to Acts chapter 7, where it all peaks, and Stephen is killed for his faith, which is what we were reading before. But when that happens, then we get up to this passage, and the verse that I left off just before, when I was rereading it, is verse 4. And in verse 4, it says, Those who have been scattered preach the word wherever They went. And so we can see that persecution is not outside of God's plan, but is in fact here the engine God uses to drive the gospel forward. He drives the gospel forward to the ends of the earth so that we in Australia today worship God. I don't know how you could get much further from Jerusalem than here in Yass, but it was effective. 
the new promised land. That's right. That's what I thought coming down Yas Valley Road. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is the effectiveness of persecution. It is God's plan. Because it's tempting as Christians to gather together, to get comfortable in our community, and then not share the gospel outside of our church. It's tempting to do that. Not all churches do that. It's tempting though. And I get it. And so sometimes God uses persecution to get us uncomfortable and push us into situations where otherwise people wouldn't hear the gospel. And we still see that happening today. So I'll give you an example. In Syria, which is not where the number 11 is placed, but in Syria, we would call that the 11th hardest country to be a Christian. And it's the 11th hardest country. Because over the last few years, there's been a terrible civil war, which you might have seen on the news. But Syria is crazily similar to Australia in a lot of ways. In Syria, the church was about 1.8 million people before the civil war. The whole country had a population of about 23 million. And there was a law which the Christians in Syria faithfully followed, which said, do not share your faith with the Muslims. And so Christians in Syria never thought of themselves as persecuted. And then the civil war happened. And millions were displaced. But what you see in the news about the terrible things in Syria, and what I see in my work, are totally different stories. And God is moving in amazing ways. I've got a short video to show you how God's doing that at the moment. I have no house at all. Can, can you imagine these, these rooms? Well, I feel very sorry for what, what has happened. How long will this go on for here? I don't know. God alone knows. God alone knows. We have something more important than anything else that makes us stay in the country. What that something is, the life-given message from the Lord. And we are kind of ambassadors of the Lord. We know that many countries that withdrew their ambassadors, which is bad enough, but if heaven withdrew its ambassador from the country, it's a disaster. Our privilege is not that we are able to leave. Our privilege is that we are able to stay for such a time in the country. It's very obvious that the Lord is doing something uh, amazing. Many people are coming to the Lord and uh, many people say, we, we thank God, although we, we lost everything, but we still uh, we, we want our souls or we want Christ in our lives. And the Lord is working and actually the church has a vision that this is the time for the church, this is the day for the church. There is a lady in house area who insisted to stay during this difficult time. She goes from home to home and check on children because she's a Sunday school teacher. And she tries to keep the children busy 
with Bible verses. She memorized those Bible verses with them on the phone, and then she goes and visits with them, and they would say it by heart to her. She's risking her life literally every day just to check on those families and see what they need, give them some support, uh, buy them meat and bread and stuff like that. She is a true soldier of Christ during this difficult time. Who dares to go to homes these days? I mean, it's very risky, very, very dangerous. Yet, she is doing this on a daily basis. You can be part of this path in praying on your knees against those powers of darkness and against the bloodshed and the evil that is spreading in our country. And we never lose hope. We know that on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus Christ changed a terrorist called Saul into Paul. And we still have this faith because Jesus is the same. He is still the sovereign Lord who can change the hardest hearts and convert the vilest sinners and make them saints. So that's what God is doing in Syria at the moment. Even though the country is being torn apart by extremists, God is making a way to make himself known. I have two incredible examples. So in a city just like this one, uh, most of the Christians fled when the Civil War came. About 80% of the church fled. And this city was no ex ex exception to that. Uh, in this city, all of the Christians who fled were the healthy and the young Christians and anyone who could get out. But the 20% who remained, with very few exceptions, were the sick and the elderly. So with them stranded, and only a few other Christians, one young woman who chose to stay, she made it her ministry, with nobody asking her, to care for other sick and elderly Christian women who didn't have a choice. She opened her apartment to them. She made sure that they were safe there, and she made sure they had food and water, things which were cut off from the city. Uh, and she kept them safe, but the city was constantly under siege and carved into five different sections. In one section, where she lived, was the government. In another section was Islamic State. And then in the other three sections were different Islamic extremist groups, all with slightly different goals, uh, but all of them who want to get rid of Christians from the country. One day when fighting got particularly fierce, some Islamic extremists broke through from another section into her part of the city. They started going door to door, looking for Christians to drag off. And eventually they got to her apartment. They went up to it and they started pounding on the door, but she ran forward and she put her hands up and she said, Go away. You're not welcome here. Leave. And then after 20 minutes, these men left. The government reasserted its control in that part of the city and kicked out the terrorists. But it wasn't two weeks later before these extremists came back. They snuck into the city. They knew where she lived, and so they watched her apartment. When she came out one day, they kidnapped her. 
off the street. They drove her to their part of the city. And then the head of their extremist group, he sat down in front of her. And he said, tell me, who is behind you that you think you can defy the men that I sent to take you? She stood there and she said, well, I could tell you. I don't think you really want me to. This terrorist, though, he insisted. He said, you will tell me. And you'll show me some respect as well. Because when men stand before me, they shake with fear. But you're just standing there. Who is behind you? And then she shared her testimony. She shared the gospel. And this terrorist who was sitting in front of her, he broke down in tears. And he let her go. And we know this story because her pastor is one of the pastors who we supported to stay in that war zone during that time. Now, we don't know what's happened to that terrorist later. But it's pretty evident that God has worked in his heart. And it's almost certain that this terrorist would never have had a chance to hear the gospel had God not constructed the situation in which he would kidnap somebody to tell him. It's not until persecution struck that God would use somebody to evangelize to a terrorist like that. I got hundreds of stories from Syria, but I got other things to share. How long am I allowed to share for? Another 15? All right, I won't tell too many stories. I'll tell you one more. Uh, so, in another city in Syria, uh, it was on the coast where lots of people fled to because there wasn't particularly a lot of fighting in this Syri- Syrian city. And there was a, a big church there, almost like a cathedral, uh, and it used to sort of get, I don't know, 20, 30 people maximum who would show up every Sunday before the Civil War. But when the Civil War started, because people were fleeing to this part of the country, very quickly it filled up with Christians. Even people who were just sort of, you know, they called themselves Christians, but they didn't go to church every week. Those people started coming every week. And so the church was full again. And when the church was full, this pastor made a hard decision. He said, everyone here who calls themselves a Christian, I want you to stop coming to church. Which is a bold move for a pastor. Would you give it a go? But this pastor, he said, I want you to stop coming to church. And Open Doors was working with him. And we asked him, why would you tell your congregation to stop coming to your church? And he said, I am just sick and tired of the Christians coming to church and taking up all of the seats while there's a line of Muslims lining up out the door, round the corner and down the next street trying to get in and find out why when the country is in a time of civil war, the Muslims split into different groups and tear everything apart, but the Christians are reaching out and trying to provide support and show love. What an incredible opportunity for witness, even as Islamic State soldiers are kidnapping Christians and killing Christians. But that is what we are called to do as Christians, to reach out in love in this incredible way. 
And we don't just see it in Syria. Across the border in Iraq, we've seen similar things happen. The church is at a slightly different stage in Iraq. And I've got another short video to show you from there of another young person's story. Some amazing stuff happened. Ali Madrestila, or Ala Sofilo, Wakatuna, to Sister Jua, or Sanders Gibi, Arabua, Kalmanes Kitahov, Kalkadam, Ana Hawazi, Ahneman, and Abrahakum, Alamur, So that's what's happening in Iraq. There are so many Christians who are displaced who want to go home now, but they're going home to a lot of them rubble. Noah's house is one of the ones which has been left relatively untouched, even though it's burnt out. And so one of the things Open Doors is doing is we're rebuilding these communities. Uh, Not just homes, but roads, electricity networks, water, everything. Because we want to see the gospel be able to be shared back with these friends and neighbors. When Noah and his family escaped, like many others, they would have looked back and seen the friends and neighbors who they'd grown up with been close to their whole lives draping black flags over their houses, claiming them in the name of Islamic State. But Noah says, I want to come back here. And there are so many Christians who do. And they want to go back and share the gospel. An incredible witness. And this is the kind of witness that Jesus tells us to have in Matthew 5, 44, uh, during the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is instructing anyone who wants to follow him how to live, he says very clearly, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. This is not an easy thing to do. And and particularly in an Islamic context, uh, where a lot of our work happens, we hear stories of Islamic extremism every day. Every day. And it can be hard to love our enemies in this circumstance, but that is what Christ calls us to do. And so one of the little uh, things that we do at my work, uh, we have a small reminder to help us do that. And so we have uh, kind of an acrostic poem 
Uh, every time we hear the word Islam, we say, I sincerely love all Muslims. Just to help remind us and, and keep our hearts right, because while Christ died for us, we were still his enemies, and so he died for these people as well. And even if we were to consider them enemies, Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for them. And so these people, even though they're persecuting us, it doesn't matter. And this mission field of about 1.2 billion people, most of whom have never had a chance to hear the gospel, we've got to be praying for them. So you can kind of get a picture now from this passage how persecution isn't necessarily something to be feared, uh, to get all bristly over when we feel our rights are being impinged upon, but rather it's an opportunity to share the gospel where we may not have had an opportunity before and where we see a society changing around us it's helpful to remember that, well, actually, we're not alone in this. There are Christians all around the world going through very similar circumstances. And in history, even in our Bible, which we hold up as an example of how we are to live, it's really common. It's totally normal. And so... Everyone's looking a bit stunned. Uh, I'm going to get you to participate again. Uh, isn't it exciting that we get to participate in God's salvation plan for the world? Isn't it amazing that we get to be all in for Jesus because he's done the work? So aren't you going to go out this week and share your faith with somebody who doesn't see Christ as Lord? Great, because if you don't, God's probably going to use persecution here in Yas as well to stir us up and share our faith where we weren't doing so before. But I don't have to worry about that because you all just said you would. So, thank you for doing that. But apart from doing that, there's something else I want to ask all of you as well. And it's, it's this. I want to ask if you can support Open Doors. I want to ask you to do it. I want to ask you to think of it in this way. Uh, I want to ask you to think about, is there a subscription in your life that you could match and subscribe to the survival of the persecuted church? You know, it could be an entertainment subscription, could be a gym membership, anything, I don't know. Could you match a subscription and subscribe to the survival of the persecuted church? And if you can, if you want to, I have one of these for you, and I want to have a conversation with you about it. Because building those roads and houses, electricity networks in Iraq, paying for medical bills and new livestock for believers in Vietnam, and making sure that Christians in Syria can remain in churches which are being targeted. These things all cost money. We need you to pray into that situation. And if you can, we want you to be giving as well. Let me close for us in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the example of those who are in persecution at the moment, Lord. Those who, despite their difficult circumstances, still demonstrate incredible love 
Lord, you have given us all the tools that we need, Lord, and it's the Holy Spirit that makes us strong to love as well. I pray, Father, that you would use each of us in our weeks, Lord. Prompt us in moments when we are with family members who don't yet know you. Lord, put in our minds now the faces of those who are friends who we know don't worship you. Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness to speak here in Australia as well. Lord, we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in North Korea. We pray that you would give them comfort in times of hardship. And for those who can't have fellowship today, simply to preserve their life so that they can share your word tomorrow, we pray you would help them in this moment. Lord, we pray that you would do the same for believers all around the world in places like Saudi Arabia and Iran who are in similar situations. Lord, we pray that you would continue to strengthen them and that you would make their backs straight, uh, st- stronger under persecution. And we trust this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in his word, stay in his love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.